The guests on Love Hurts occasionally use some adult language and go into some more intense subject matter, but that's kind of how real life works anyway. This is Love Hurts. I'm Brian Berlin. Today's guest is Cambry Cruz. Cambry is a writer, storyteller, and theater owner living in Astoria, Queens. Growing up, Cambry always had a great relationship with her dad, but everything changed after he went away to prison almost 20 years ago for attempted murder. Despite everything that happened, Cambry has slowly worked to rebuild her relationship with her dad as he gets closer to being released from prison. Hey, Cambry, how's it going? Hey, great. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me in your <laughs> space. That is so cool and so much greater than my bedroom where I usually do these. Yeah, it's so like a little professional studio. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, mine is like I do have a few of these little panels up, mm-hmm. but it's more of just like all the clutter in my room is sort of my soundproofing. And that's uh, how it goes. Yeah, it <laughs> yeah. works pretty good. Um, yeah, but thank you for having me at your beautiful location. Um, and yeah, what what did you want to talk about today? Well, the subject is love, correct? Yes, yeah. and the the hurting part of love. <laughs> the and... hurting part of love. Um, we well, we've talked a little bit off off the record, but uh, on the record, <laughs> the through line in my life seems to be about uh, loving my father in spite of his bad behavior. Yeah. And in the present day situation with uh, Me Too, your end, people like Cosby and, and Michael Jackson and people like that who are very admired by the general public whose products that you really like. Oh, and Louis C.K., if we're going to talk about comedy and being here in my venue, QED, which is a comedy venue, uh, people like Louis C.K., where you, you really liked their work, you, you maybe even supported them by going to see their shows, and then now they have devastated you by the re- revealing what what terrible people they are. <laughs> yeah, like learning more about them as people and less of them as like as an entertainer performer. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's very much true in my personal life. Um it's my father was very much my hero growing up. He's extraordinarily smart. Uh I think his IQ is 163, 165. Oh yeah. Like brilliant, yeah. yeah. But he was born deaf, and being born deaf in a hearing family, which uh, was also a very poor farming and evangelical Christian family, did not serve him well. <laughs> so yeah, that sounds like a tough uh, yeah. world to be yeah. growing up in. As. Yeah, to be really, really smart and have no language when when you think about somebody like Helen Keller. Helen Keller was throwing tantrums because she was frustrated at not being able to communicate. They get Annie Sullivan, this wonderful tutor, to come in and educate their daughter. And and she is this brilliant mind and inspiration and has gone on to make history. My dad's family, on the other hand, poor evangelical and uh, Christians who believed in divine healing, except no deaf person that we knew was ever healed. And it's because they weren't Christian enough. They weren't praying hard enough. They weren't good enough. And they uh, to discipline him and to help him with his frustration of not being able to communicate rather than getting a tutor, they beat him. And they beat him with cherry switches from a tree and razor straps, like brutal, yeah. brutal 
acts of abuse. To yeah. This so instead child. of like supporting him, it was like he was wrong for mm-hmm. this was I yeah. don't know his punishment or something. Yeah. Yeah. Just punished and uh, uh, when an abused child uh, <laughs> grows up, often they have many other difficulties and. Uh, to make matters worse, be- being deaf in the 50s, 40s and 50s, um, they dropped him off at a deaf school for um, the, basically from the age of four up until he graduated high school. He lived in dorms and he would have occasional visits home for summer and vacations and things. But when they first dropped him off, he thought he had been abandoned at an orphanage because they had threatened him his whole childhood that if he didn't behave, they would. Yeah. Yeah. So it, just a, a lot of abandonment issues, abusive issues. And then being at this deaf school, which is was run very much like a state institution, like a prison, where they were told what time to wake up, what time to go to bed, when to eat lunch, and everything was reg- regimented. Yeah, so again, not really a supportive environment. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Now, that said, I do believe he does cherish a lot of his friendships from deaf school, and that's because they these were children who all basically grew up as brothers and sisters, they yeah. all lived together. So I, I don't know that it was necessarily the environment um, that fostered the relationships, other than the, just the circumstances yes. of the, the, this is my family now. Yeah, not like the most ideal uh, like surroundings, but people that made the surroundings bearable. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so he's um, he was abandoned at this deaf school. He uh, grew up. He felt like deaf school was like a prison to him. He's actually used those words. So it makes sense that he now is in prison. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, But the the reason he's in prison now is because he was a domestic abuser. He actually used to abuse my mother, and he tried to kill her when I um, was—it was the summer before my senior year in high school. And I happened to be there and was able to stop the attack— but this was in 1988, 89, before the domestic violence laws had changed. It was before Nicole Brown Simpson and O.J. Simpson, okay, you know. Yeah. So it was before all of that Violence Against Women Act wasn't even in anyone's thoughts at that time. So he got probation. <laughs> for, yeah, because like what happens behind a family's closed doors, you know, don't ask, don't tell. I didn't see it. It didn't happen. That's just a family Yeah, like situation. respecting the family privacy, yeah. even though there's like very yeah. real violence yeah. happening in this yeah. family. Yeah. Oh boy. It's backwards. And it it's what's make makes it even more backwards is that it is modern day history. This is not you know the pre yeah. civilization or religion like um puritan I don't know. It, it it's just kind yeah, of crazy. It's, a, it's that, a world this happened very not that long ago. Not that long ago. Yeah, and for yeah. you to have to exp- We had cable television. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then to like have to be the one to experience this mm-hmm. event happening and break that up yeah. like that is intense. It's traumatic, too. very traumatic. And so yeah, this but um but oh, to go back though that that prior to this attack on my mom, I had never witnessed any domestic abuse and so my dad for me had always been a hero to me he had being so brilliant he had um basically designed and built a house for us out in the middle of nowhere in the middle of the woods in south texas we lived without running water no electricity no plumbing nothing 
and we slept in tents, and then we lived in a one-room tin shack, and wow. we used an outhouse. Yeah, very, very. My parents tried to make it sound like Little House on the Prairie, you know, and I was like, yeah, sign me up. I was seven. That's that's like a dream, yeah, you know? Yeah, that thing where they're like making the situation almost like a game. <laughs> yeah. When you, when you yeah. think about it for a second, you're like, well, this uh-huh. isn't the greatest this isn't circumstances yeah. that I would like to be growing up in, <laughs> yeah, but it's yeah. fun because it's, I'm a kid. Yeah. and Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, and my dad, he he installed a, uh, a septic system. He wow. in- installed electricity. He built, um, the, he, he basically made this home from scratch. Everything from the water system to electricity and everything in between. And um, he built a bridge for the road to allow supplies to come <laughs> wow. into this backwoods road. It was that. Yeah. It was that remote where you literally oh, yeah. couldn't get there by yeah. a car until he made a bridge. Right. Yes, correct. <laughs> wow. Yeah. The the bridge, quote unquote, bridge that had existed before that our, our small truck could pass over was made of railroad ties, just oh, lumber. Geez. Yeah. Very rickety. And so he, some somebody tried to put a haul too much weight over it and collapsed, the bridge collapsed. And my dad designed and built this new bridge and the Army Corps of Engineers came out and inspected it and deemed it capable of <laughs> carrying a 30,000 pound load. Wow. Which meant that then all these uh, oil rigs and construction equipment could come through and help develop the land back there. Yeah. Jeez. And tap into people's uh, oil mineral rights. <laughs> so he's just like doing this on the side. Just on the <laughs> side, yeah. And in the meantime, he was a foreman in downtown Houston um, building major skyscrapers and stuff. And, you know, a deaf man in the 80s serving as a foreman over his hearing peers, That's that was um, unheard of, really. Yeah, like it seems like he overcame a lot in overcame his early years so to then much. be where he was when you yeah, were born and, and growing up. and if you up. looked at his artwork, too, he's an incredible artist, uh, just uh, a woodworker, a construction worker, of course, I've mentioned, but, but just the creative talent that's also within him is really impressive. Uh, really gregarious and a funny storyteller, just yeah. charming as hell, which a lot of uh, attempted killers and killers are charming. <laughs> so I don't know. Is a sociopath? <laughs> um, but yeah, they're, they're, all that is wrapped up into the same human. All these beautiful, wonderful things and all these dark, sadistic, awful things. They are existing in my dad. And uh, so when he tried to kill my mom, I was traumatized. Yeah, it was the first seeing this other side of him that you had not seen up to this point in your life. I'd started getting inklings leading right up to it. And then the the night of the attack, it was just out of this world, out of body experience. Just like what is happening and who is this man who's possessed my father? This is not my dad. Um. He only got probation. So many years later, we had kind of forged a relationship again of just uh, letters, you know, him being deaf and technology not being what it is today, mostly handwritten letters, an occasional phone call through a hearing friend or something. Yeah. Um, and then I I moved to New York and it was when I was here in New York that I got a call that my dad had done it again. He had tried to kill another woman. But this time it was much more severe. No one was there to prevent the attack. Like I had been there to help my mom. That This woman was by herself with my dad. And thankfully she lived. Um, it's a miracle that she lived. Thankfully she lived. And that means that he only got attempted murder, though. Yeah. 
So, you know, attempted murder in the state of Texas, you would think, would be practically a life sentence. They're such a justice-driven uh, yeah. state. Lock them up, throw away the key. Yeah. But he's going to get out soon. He's been in 17 years. Wow. Yeah. And a 20-year sentence in Texas, you're required to serve half before you're eligible for parole. Okay. He's been up for parole every two years since serving half. And now that he's almost at the end of his sentence and he's 72 years old, they've kind of put him on the fast track. So he could be out as early as this June which is mind-boggling. And also, we're not ready. <laughs> you think 20 years is a long time, and then, you know, it's your dad getting out from a attempted murder sentence, and you're like, no, that's not long enough. <laughs> yeah, like, oh, this when this happened, it felt like a long time, and now that it's coming up, you're like, oh, wait, I don't, <laughs> yeah, this is not, I'm not ready to, like, fully process what's happening here. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And so have you been in, like, contact with him over? Yeah, over the last 17, 18 years, I guess it's been, um, uh, 17 and a half we have kept up communication mostly, again, through letters. Um, only recently did the Texas Department of Criminal Justice start allowing for deaf inmates to make phone calls. Yeah. Yeah, which, you know, basic civil right for yeah. inmates, but they couldn't manage to figure it out for deaf people. So he only just got that privilege, but I have not gotten a call from him yet. I don't know if uh, we just are missing each other. He's not allowed to leave messages. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. So, um, but uh, we mostly letters, a lot of letters. I actually have a letter upstairs that just arrived today, um, mostly him asking for things and help. Yeah, it's a lot of like prison logistic stuff of... Yeah, and just like, like uh, when... This, when I get inquiries where he's asking about what the meanings are of certain things, it really puts into focus what he's missing by being inside. Like, for example, he asked many years ago, he asked what a blog was. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't in the dictionary. Yeah. And he kept reading it. In newspaper articles, blog. What it, what's a blog? Yeah, and, so he's yeah. this like smart guy who's trying to stay up yeah, on stuff yeah. while and, being in prison and, and the dictionary missing things yeah. because of yeah. the time that has passed of him being. Yeah, and now of course he want he wanted to know what an emoticon was. <laughs> he's never seen a computer. He's been in long enough. Yeah. He's never and they Whoa. don't give him access to computers, and um, he's never seen a cell phone. Um, so when he gets out, it's going to be like Rip Van Winkle and waking up into this future. It's kind of exciting and interesting, but very scary. Yeah. Yeah. Is it something that, you, like, I know you said you're not, like, quite ready for it yet. Like, how do you think your relationship will be when he's out? I think it's going to end up turning into me being his mother slash teacher. Yeah, like yeah. getting him caught up to the real world. Teaching him how to use a computer and not be subject to scams. And yeah. making sure he understands that we can all see what porn he's watching. <laughs> <laughs> he asked me what chat roulette was. And oh, I was like, man. oh, dude, you're in for excitement. <laughs> he's going to be so excited. It's the first website he's going on. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to have to tell him about Pornhub. Oh, Just boy. like, please don't buy anything. You don't have to buy yeah, porn. No subscriptions. <laughs> <laughs> and if anyone oh, says God. that they want to meet you and that, uh, all this, you know, don't don't fall for it. Um, yeah, my, my husband and I, 
I have been kind of joking about my dad is just desperate to get laid as soon as he gets out of prison. <laughs> and A, why do I know this? Yeah, I was going to say, is that a weird thing to be like having con- hearing from him about? Like, yeah. dad, I'm okay. I'm yeah. But I'm the only one he can talk yeah. to, honestly. And that actually is also a very lovely thing. This whole traumatic, crazy thing has meant that my dad and I have had to face reality in ways that it's like, come on, we don't have to dance around these silly little things. You just tried, you tried to kill someone and you tried to kill my mother. And here I am in front of you and you, let's just talk (laughs) about regular things and not um, sugarcoat. Yeah. I mean, that's on your part. That's such a, a journey for you to have to go on, right? To be like, okay, I mean, obviously, it's your dad and you love this person, but it's like to still have this person in your life after these two events, one of which you like witnessed mm-hmm. and had to deal with. Yeah. Right. Like that's that's yeah. a real I don't know. Like, Well, part of me when he first was sentenced, it was right after 9-11. Um, I, I'm not sure. Where were you during 9-11? Uh, I was in middle school in New Jersey. In New, OK, so yeah. you were in the tri-state area. Yeah. OK. So I was, um, I worked in Rockefeller Center. Oh, yeah. And I was working with the NYPD and the FDNY on their intellectual trademark and and, um, licensing. I worked in a law firm. I was a legal assistant. Okay. I'm a paralegal by trade, but, uh, and I've done PR and marketing, and now I own a theater. (laughs) I've written a book, and I storytell. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, It's all over the place. Yeah. but uh, working in this law firm so closely with these two organizations right around 9-11 and, and then after 9-11, watching all the funerals take place outside our window at St. Pat's Cathedral. Oh, it was yeah. right across the street yeah. on Fifth Avenue. Yeah. So every it was it was just relentless, the number of funerals and the bagpipes. And, and part of me had really desperately kind of wished that my dad had just died and died maybe in 9-11 because then he would be a hero for just by circumstance. <laughs> he yeah. would be, uh, he would be mourned at least by, by circumstance. Yeah. Like you wouldn't have to deal with this part of his personality that is the problematic part. And yeah. you could just, people would just be like, Oh, he other, died yeah. oh, in 9-11. And then their, their hearts would go out to me. <laughs> yes. Yeah. No, regardless that he had been this really terrible yes, person. Instead of dealing with like yeah. the reality of this circumstance of this yeah. person yeah. who you love and is in your life and yeah. what that means. Yeah. And it definitely feels like it might have been easier too if he had died. Um, it, uh, that rather than getting getting a sentence, it, there has been, especially early on in the sentence, um, in the aftermath of it, it caused a lot of old repressed PTSD to come back and repressed memories and dreams and everything. It was awful, and I, I, I was having lunch with one of the attorneys actually at the law firm, and he and I went out the day that my dad had gotten sentenced. He could tell I was really upset. Because I was like, 20 years, man, he's going to die. He's going to die in prison. Yeah. And he was like, well, he's not dead yet. And I was like, oh, that kind of clicked. It That just clicked something in my head that, yeah, you know what? He's not dead yet. And that means I have him in a place where he's sober. He's not ostensibly going to hurt anyone. He, I guess, he could still uh, yeah. hurt guards or other inmates, but... 
he his his bugaboo is usually with the woman in his life and that's what i do worry about that if i become the main woman in his life does that transfer his possessive first nature but i don't think so cuz it's still a fatherly relationship father daughter relationship but ultimately yeah of being like the closest woman in his life and mm. what that has meant in the past and yeah and just hoping that he's changed enough over this 17 years to not be that same person i guess right yeah and- yeah yeah he really has an issue with women though and i don't blame him i mean his mother beat the crap out of him with a cherry switch and just violently and yeah. she was very like I said, that evangelical Christian thing where you you would be healed of your deafness if only you were a, a better Christian, if you're a better person, and that, that you're not you're not good enough. You yeah, don't that, deserve this. That's disgusting. We're not going to love you unconditionally right. because there are condition. The fact that you're deaf means that you're lesser than us, and mm-hmm. yeah, that's a tough thing to be as a kid when you have no concept of any of why this is happening. Yeah, right? That's yeah, yeah, yeah and. Um, he, he will, when he, when he gets out though, yeah, the, the whole Rip Van Winkle thing kind of makes me excited and I think, oh, that would make a great documentary. So I'm hopeful that he'll let me film him and we can maybe sit down and do some interviews and, and, um, really examine what his life is like immediately from, uh, upon release. Is, have you like talked? Do you know if he's going to come up here or is he going to he, stay in Texas? He's applied for a transfer to New York. Okay. Um, mainly because he, he, and this is where it's like, oh man, he's still such a grifter and a con man, like a easy get rich quick scheme kind of guy. He, he wants to move to New York because he'll get more social security income because <laughs> <laughs> it's more expensive to live here. Yeah. And so I'm he's like, already playing the numbers. Yeah. Of like, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. He's totally playing the numbers. Um, I have a job for him up here. You know, uh, I have a home that needs some work upstate, a little one room cabin upstate and so he's like you know i could i could just live out in a in a tent or in a little shed out in the on the land in the back i don't need much i don't even need and i'm like yeah i know that's how you raised us <laughs> <laughs> yeah i've experienced I how easy, like little you need to live because i, I have lived it yeah uh, <laughs> i know so he yeah so he's convinced that he can just uh, set up camp on, on our property <laughs> Uh, help um, yeah, like improve. renovate it or yeah yeah, yeah there's not it, it doesn't need renovation but it definitely needs some things that are above our pay grade yeah and he's so like, skilled yeah if he has the skill to do it yeah and if he does have a legitimate job when he gets out um as if he can prove that he has work waiting for him then he does get some assistance to buy some tools and the tools of his trade essentially yeah. so in that regard, yeah. And then also New York City just has so many resources that other places don't. Like Fortune Society um, helps men uh, who are immediately uh, upon release, you're able to go to this place. So over on Northern Boulevard, I live off Northern Boulevard. Yeah. It's like less than a half mile from my apartment. So this really incredible resource just steps away. So I feel like it could be a good fit. And then the idea of him walking around New yeah. York City, it's like, oh, my gosh, is this like um, that movie with uh, Robert De Niro, um, 
that Midnight Cowboy. Is that Robert De Niro? Oh, that's um, what's Al his Pacino? name? It's um, yeah. it's oh, Dustin Hoffman. Yeah, Dustin Hoffman. Yeah. And then the, I was thinking of the main character. Yeah, I don't uh, know him. John Voight. I think yes, is who it, it is. is. It yeah. is. It is. Yeah, but yeah, like yeah, just <laughs> he just he's gonna pimp himself out as a seventy-two-year-old man uh, in New York City. Just well, just the the yes. this, uh, fish out of water. Oh, that, yes, yeah. I get that. Yes, I <laughs> can see that. Yes, this Texas guy coming up to New York City and being like both overwhelmed by the period yeah. of time he's living in yeah. and the city that he's living yeah. in. Yeah, I you even told him. I said, you know, I'm not sure if this is gonna be the right city for you. Have you have you really thought about like? what it would be like walking around and having people bumping into you all the time and in your personal space. I don't know. And he goes, oh, man, you have no idea what chow line is like at prison. <laughs> He's like, there's nothing worse than chow line at prison, apparently. Like, just them jockeying for just position. to get food yeah, yeah. and uh he's like so, and besides i would really like to bump up against some women's breasts oh and butts God. and i was like nope this is nope. so weird for your dad to be saying this nope. to you. He, he swore that he would not uh, like grab them and i was like dad no that that's assault even intentionally brushing up is oh is going God. to be apparent and i'm gonna have to have a discussion with him about <laughs> about uh Harassment on the subway, those, you know, those uh, graphics that they have. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to have to send him one of those. Oh, my God. That's that is like such yeah. a weird, to still get flashes of this other personality yeah, yeah, of him and yeah. being like, oh, I don't know about this, but like, I want this to work out, but this could And I'm like, be... really? At 72, yeah. you have that much testosterone still? Damn. <laughs> um, I'm impressed. But also, is this just a, a, a just because he's been in for so long and he's kind of like, once he got the, the his yeah. cherry popped. <laughs> She needs to meet a nice, nice New York woman. No, God, no more women. That's actually one of my clauses. Uh, no drugs, no drinking, no smoking, a little bit of weed. If when he's off parole, he's okay. allowed to. I, I said he's allowed to smoke weed. Nobody ever tried to kill anyone when they were high. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, high on weed. That is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I would be shocked. <laughs> yeah, that seems like I've never done weed before, but I still. Oh, you haven't. I know everybody. I, I oh mean, my god, everyone I, I know. My parents. My brother grew it when we were kids. Oh really? Yeah. That was next to the tent. It would just be behind the shed. My my horse ate it and got baked. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. Get oh, off your high horse. Uh, uh-huh. That's where the phrase comes from. No, it doesn't. That's but, yeah. your specific family situation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So he's got a no no women clause when he comes. Uh, I yeah. I was like, and oh, and this I started to mention this before with my husband and I have been talking about. Like he he desperately just wants to get laid when he's out of prison, and my husband and I are like, no, he can't be with women. He that's that's his problem. He gets possessive and he gets worried about abandonment again. Those abandonment yeah. issues and his just his psychological mess ups from his family and his childhood. No, but if he just needs to get laid, like there's sex workers. We know sex workers, and so we're like, we got to get sex work legalized in New York. That's our new champion <laughs> cause. So I. Just like my take dad a quick, laid. take a quick flight to Las Vegas or something. Oh yeah, and just yeah, I guess like... Vegas. Yeah, but I know, um, like our state senator here in in Queens, Jessica Ramos, has been lobbying. Oh to, really? So to you're legalize, like... and I'm like, yep, yep, let's I'm go. Bored. Let's do high. it. Let's do it. This is top priority. <laughs> Dad's got to oh, get man. That's like a very weird part of your documentary of him coming out of prison. Is yeah. like, all right, marching. I want to get my dad laid. <laughs> like yeah. marching yeah. with picket signs and stuff. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah, it's like I feel like there's also that element too where it's like you then become 
the the like parent of he has, yeah. like brings somebody home and you have to be like approve whether no. or not yes. it's like yeah. everyone's Dad, everyone's she's no. not good enough yeah. for you. <laughs> oh boy. Uh, yeah, I definitely do feel like I'll be more of a parent than a child for him, but I I have heard from many other friends that are just a little bit older than me that eventually that's what happens. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, that you become the parent. Yeah, that just seems like the natural kind of progression of, yeah. of things. If Now, I don't have kids, though, so uh, I chose not to have children. And now I'm going to have this 72-year-old child. Fuck. Yeah, running around New York City who's <laughs> Yes, <laughs> who doesn't know to how to everything. use porn yeah, and the internet. Yeah, exactly. It's all the same things that you've got to guard your yeah, children that, against. That, yeah, this is like he's like a 12-year-old totally. child. A really even, horny 12-year-old yeah, yeah. child. Yeah. He's just given an iPad for the first time. <laughs> I have his iPad. I should put parental locks on it. <laughs> he won't know how to fix those. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't mind if he watches porn. I really don't. He's going to be so excited when he realizes that it's all right there. That's, yeah. It seems like this is the biggest excitement. <laughs> this is his biggest, like... Well, and also FaceTiming, too. FaceTiming is going to be really exciting for him. Yeah. To, to realize that this little baby, tiny little phone has... Uh, the capability of just ringing me up anytime. That's really Yeah, which is probably going to be, and it'll be great until it's like taken yeah. advantage of yeah. and then you'll be yeah. like, oh boy, this, <laughs> this is, I wish we were back to just sending letters to each other. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I feel like this is like almost like the first part of a multi-part series now. We're going to like check in in a year when, oh, when God. he's come yeah, out let's of do prison. It. And... I, I really do. I know that there is so much here. I know that I have a, a, a bottomless well, it feels like, of of um, source material. Yeah. It's just that with QED, this theater that I own, it's impossible for me to do anything other than just make it through one day. Yeah, you just need somebody to like take take over for like six months or yeah. something and yeah. just be like, okay, great. I just want to go pursue this fun idea and then yeah. I'll take over again. Yeah. And- well, it's a great space. And thank you. Thank you so much for talking to me today. Thanks. And now you know about our podcast studio. So yeah. come use it. <laughs> yeah. Like, so if people do want to like find more about you or QED, like where can they go uh, on the websites? And Yeah. QEDAstoria.com. That's Q-E-D like David, Astoria.com. And then my name is Cambry Cruz. My website is CambryCruz.com. Great. And you have a whole book where you talk oh, at, yeah. at least about some of what My we whole talked book about is all about growing up with a deaf family, my dad's uh, prison sentence and all that stuff. But it's kind of funny, too. It's not just uh, maudlin, you know, yeah. sad stuff. Um, that's called Burn Down the Ground. And it's a New York Times bestseller. Awesome. It's not in print anymore, but it's available via ebook or, da- you know, used copies are available online. You track them down. Yeah. Yeah, you can get on. Cool. If you like the hard books. Yeah. Great. Well, thanks so much for talking to me, Cambry. Thanks for having me. This is how we love. This is how we fight for something that's right. Love Hurts is produced, hosted, and edited by Brian Berlin. Theme music by Mickey Hommel. Show art by Caroline Mallon. You can find Love Hurts wherever you get your podcasts. If you like the show, rate and review it on Apple Podcasts and tell a friend about it. You can also support the show and get exclusive content each month by going to patreon.com slash lovehurtspod. You can find Love Hurts on Instagram and Twitter at lovehurtspod 
and our website is lovehurtspod.com. I'm Brian Berlin, and this is Love Hurts.